Welcome back to part two of Ecolution at the BT Young Scientists and Technology Exhibition. As we said last week, the RDS was full to bursting with climate solutions and investigations into the problems currently facing our world. One thing that seemed to crop up again and again was agriculture and the ways in which we produce food. Huge changes are needed in the area so as Ireland can hit the carbon reductions required of us by 2030 and make more space for nature. And so, today's episode will focus mainly on that. The food we eat, the practices we have now, and how the young people at the exhibition thought we might change things for the better. Because students on the stands had some interesting ideas. So I'm Isabel O'Connor. I'm Gabriela Kudlinska. And I'm Lisa Murphy. We're from Gloucester and Turk. Our project is about evaluating the attitudes of Irish adolescents towards entomography. So we want to see our Irish adolescents open to the idea of eating insects. At the moment, there's three different insects approved by the EU as safe to be consumed by humans. They're crickets, mealworms and grasshoppers. We chose cricket flour, so we bought a flour that was produced in Switzerland and we incorporated it in in a 50% ratio into our cookies. We did this because we wanted it to still be similar to a normal cookie so that they could still taste the cookie and we'd have a fair result. So we presented a student group two cookies one containing cricket flour and one containing plain flour and we asked them to score their liking of appearance, flavour, texture and overall liking using nine point liking scale and we also asked them to score their willingness to buy the cookie using a five point purchase intent scale. We didn't tell them which cookie was which. So our findings found that people with previous knowledge and previous experience of eating insects had a more positive attitude towards insect consumption. That would tell us that Once people have been familiarised with the product, they will be more likely to eat them in the future, which shows that there is room for eating insects in Irish society. One of the main barriers towards insect consumption is disgust, and also lack of knowledge would be another big barrier. So that just means people aren't educated enough about the practice of insect consumption. So what we'd like to do is we'd like to bring in modules into home ec classes and just maybe at ploughing festivals or whatever, just to educate more people about the practice of insect consumption so that they'd be more open to trying them in the future. It's important to consider insects due to the food security problem. Agriculture will have to increase by 70% to feed the growing population expected to reach 9.1 billion by 2050. However, this can't be done sustainably with the way we're going at the moment as 37.5% of our greenhouse gas emissions alone are related to agriculture. So we are going to have to find a more sustainable way to take and insects are the perfect opportunity to do this as they have a small production space, a small CO2 footprint and they have a low water consumption. So they are really sustainable for the environment. It's a lot more sustainable for farmers than it is to have uh, herds of cattle as it's cheaper and the product you can sell for a lot more. Uh, I quite like the taste actually, along with 50% of our participants who actually did say they enjoyed the taste also. I really think this project is something that could really be something bigger in the future. Bugs might not be to your taste, but it's important that we think about the impact of the food that we eat already. So I'm Alma Pallone and I'm from Kinsale Community School and my title is Consuming Fish, the Carbon Footprint of Trawling. Well, I'm a sailor because my town is by the sea and I've always been interested in climate change and then when I always see the fishing vessels arriving home, I just put two and two together and yeah. So basically I was trying to find the carbon footprint of only one kg of hake purchased at my local fish shop. So what I had to do is go through all the stages of catching that one kg of hake and I found that the carbon footprint of one kg of hake 
is only about 2.5 kg, which is really low compared to every other protein source. Beef is 99.48 kg, while hake is only 2.5 kg of CO2. When I was like looking for research, I did come across a few articles that show that trawling is really bad for the biodiversity, like the entire like marine life. Also, when the trawler like scrapes the seabed, the marine sediments is uh, like a carbon sink. But when that's mixed up, that carbon is released into the water column, and then it's later released into the atmosphere. I don't think everyone should like suddenly change to eating fish because obviously overfishing is also a problem. So I would recommend just trying to consume more locally caught fish, like knowing where your seafood comes from. I think people would try to put some thought into where their food comes from, but when you're at the shop or supermarket, you'd buy the first thing there. And since like the prices of food have also gone up, the local thing might be more expensive than something coming from abroad. Changing our practices is hard, whether that be because of the cost, our habits, or lack of access to the technology that might help us. And this is as true on a farm as it is in an office or anywhere else. Joining us in studio today, we have Sachin from Castlenock College. First of all, can you just tell us a little bit about your project? So Project Preserve is a low-cost prevention-based solution that is unique and one-of-a-kind and allows farmers to gain insights into their emissions unlike anything else on the market. So why did this particular topic interest you, a student from Dublin? So I, I, I first started reading a few newspapers you know, as sort of like a, like a hobby and I just accidentally stumbled upon the Irish Farmers Journal. I actually saw an article written by Mr. Phelan O'Neill, and you know, I, I, I immediately recognized that agriculture sector has to reduce its emissions by 30% by 2030. In order to do that, there has to be some repercussions. Right now, farmers as it is can you know, reduce emissions by 18%, but it's about getting to that final 12% and down to 30%, which really matters. And that's where you know most existing solutions come in, like Board B as a sustainability audit. But the problem with that is it's not exactly easy to measure the emissions of each individual farmer as opposed to a collective group. And you know that's where Project Preserve really embraces the idea of getting insights to do about their emissions and being low cost and preventive based solution. So can you just explain to me exactly how your project works? Sure. You know, right now I'm using a hardware setup that's based on Arduino and it uses several sensors and you know uses that as a sensor network. So the main sensor that it uses is like an MQ9 gas sensor that measures methane and nitrous oxide. I use a soil moisture sensor that detects water content in soil. And I use a DHC11, which is a temperature and humidity sensor. And you know, using all these sensors, it uploads that data to the cloud dashboard, which is accessible anywhere, just using a mobile phone and a internet connection. This allows easier uh, entry into data about their emissions as opposed to you know existing solutions. And I'm running a custom model on top of that, especially like an AI machine learning model that uh, pr produces custom analysis and predicts tomorrow's emissions data, especially uh, carbon dioxide, methane and nitrous oxide, tomorrow's data values today. And that is a preventive-based solution that, that doesn't exist on the market so far. That's amazing. Well, thank you. So how would you see it being expanded from your research? Right now, I've only contacted local farms in the region of Leakslip. But the problem is that, you know, it, it is a very big issue, effectively. And to address that, I'm going to need a lot of data. The best solution to that would be to, you know, contact many farms and, you know, speaking to agencies like uh, Chagask and Irish Farmers Journal, getting them to understand that Project Preserve is a real solution in that sense. So how easy or hard do you think it might be to improve the conversation about agricultural emissions? Well, 
if people are really willing to listen about this issue, then you know it might be easier done than said, right? But the problem is that some farmers are resistant to change, and you know not everyone has that availability to employ new solutions as opposed to their existing system. That's where you know major companies like uh, Chalkisk and Irish Farmers Journal really play a role in you know communicating about such existing and uh, you know valuable solution to farmers so that they can effectively employ their solutions and reduce their emissions by 2030. So do you think that this is something that could work internationally? Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, the concept of uh, climate change and global warming is applicable everywhere. Do you think that schools are doing a good job of preparing students for the climate crisis as it unfolds? Overall, I think that schools are willing to provide that information to allow students to really, you know, contribute on that level. So, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Sachin wasn't on his own in coming up with a technological solution to help us change our habits. Can you introduce yourselves and talk a little bit about your project? My name's Ailsa Marnin. My name's Rowan Harton. My name's Julia Clinch, Loretto High School Beaufort. And our project is called Taking Steps Forward to Reduce Your Carbon Footprint. What we did is we created an app called Carbon Log so that people could download it and take a survey every day. Simple questions that would calculate their carbon footprint on a day-to-day basis rather than a year's approximation. It would be measured in kilograms and they would be able to see a comparison every day of their previous carbon footprint with their current carbon footprint and ways they can uh, reduce it. We found out that a lot of the carbon that's produced in our daily lives comes from heating and then uh, close comes food. So um, we noticed that people who eat a lot of like red meat and things like that produce around 25 kg more than the average person who only eats red meat a few times a week. And we realized that obviously in teenage girls they have to have iron. So we were thinking, okay, what type of foods could they eat instead? And we're thinking things like spinach has higher iron and it's not as bad for your carbon footprint. Instead of steak, you could have chicken and spinach and potatoes. So just little things like that so we can help out the environment. How willing do you think people are in changing their diets? Well, we tested the app on a few people over a two-week process and... A few of them actually did make changes in their daily lives, such as their diet, and they reduced their carbon footprint for a decent amount. We realized that with the help of our app and our little um, suggestions would really help, like, just to the thought of, okay, instead of driving to school today, I took a walk to school, and that can encourage you to do more things for the environment and create a sense of pride that you did actually do something small that helped the environment. It's all about staying positive, even though all of these horrible things are going on around us. It's all about keeping your head up and trying to do what you can rather than getting down in the dumps and just not doing anything. My name is Ellie and I go to St Mary's College Nice. My name is Sinead and I'm also in St Mary's College Nice. Our project is an app that helps users create eco-friendly habits over a period of three weeks by setting them several small achievable goals each week. The user has a virtual tree on the app that grows and progresses with them as they grow and become more eco-friendly. We did this to give them a sense of achievement and hopefully they will pick up the habits which will make them more eco-friendly. The app is called Green Habits. In the future though we hope to develop it more and have it on the app store. Can you tell us a little bit about the habits that are included in the app? The habits start off as small things such as not leaving the lights on when you're not in the room and then they gradually increase and become bigger such as cutting down your meat intake. We did this so we wouldn't totally overwhelm our users at the start so they can gradually build up and become more eco-friendly. Every time you do click that you've done a habit, a fact comes up about the habit, for example, turning off the lights, so we can educate users more on climate change. How open to change are people our age? 
I think that people our age are very open to change and very broad-minded because we are being educated a lot in school about issues such as climate change. So how much do you think young people think about the climate crisis? Um, I think we do think about a lot. As we said, Like we do learn about it in school and it is something on our mind and it is something that we need to help with. So I think that a lot of people our age are genuinely really worried about climate change because it's going to impact our future and like the next generation's future. With young people concerned about the future, it's interesting to see how they might respond to changes that they can make right now in the food that they eat. My name's Alona Lowney, I go to the Institute of Education. The title of my project is The Tofu Takeover, Irish Attitudes Towards Plant-Based Diets and a Possible Solution to Our Healthcare Crisis. I did a presentation to my class in third year about vegan diets and while I was presenting what I thought to be shocking statistics, this was not reflected in my class and so I wanted to do it at a larger scale and also examine with a survey how people actually feel about vegetarian and vegan diets. It appears to be quite negative. People have a lot of concerns, particularly with nutrient deficiencies. So, for example, 77% of people thought that vegetarian diets were unsafe for children and 89% thought vegan diets were unsafe for children. Although organisations like the British Dietetics Association have said that these diets are actually safe and nutritionally adequate and can provide benefit for people of all ages. I think the information about the benefits hasn't been spread to the public yet, which is allowing for a lot of myths to spread, and people believe these um, myths, which is um, completely understandable. I also think with the rise of cost of living, that's a barrier. Four years ago, though, I went vegetarian, and I've been cutting out more animal products since. But since doing my project, I feel really strongly about uh, trying to reduce at least the amount of animal products we consume. There's definitely evidence that there are huge environmental benefits. You kind of wonder why this information isn't being spread to the public. Why are we being told to cut out plastic straws and not cut out meat? I find it very confusing. The conversation around farming has been incredibly heated and understandably passionate. We need to eat, farmers need to make a living. But methods need to change. So, for our last visit to the studio, we invited three young people, two of whom are from a farming background to discuss the direction they want to take their farms in and what impact those changes can have. Joining us in the studio today, we have Eve, Susanna and Sean. I'd like to begin with Susanna. So what school do you go to and what is your project all about? So our project is an investigation into the effectiveness of constructed farmland ponds in promoting biodiversity as indicated by the presence of water beetles as bioindicators. So moving on to Sean, could you just tell us where you go to school and a little bit about your project? I'm in Roscommon Community College uh, in Roscommon and my project was trying to find an alternative to their synthetic fertilisers like your 101020s, all them type of synthetic lab-made fertilisers. These two projects focus on changes that can be made on farms. Two of you are from a farming background. In your experience, what needs to change in the conversation around farming's future? I think that farmers are definitely the custodians of the countryside and they could tackle the biodiversity loss and damage if they were supported correctly by the government. But I don't think they are being supported correctly enough. There isn't enough incentives financially for farmers. Like, farming is their livelihood, so they need to generate an income from this. They aren't going to have sustainable agriculture practices if there aren't financial incentives. And I also think that farmers definitely need to be educated on the matter of sustainable farming practices. And if more education was given, then maybe we could act on this. So Susanna, could you tell us a little bit about your farm? 
So my farm is a beef farm and we recently installed a pond on our farm, primarily because of the investigation that I was doing here, but also my dad was thinking about it beforehand. We wanted to install this pond on our farm to promote biodiversity and just see if it did reap benefits for biodiversity and could it increase the levels around our area. Eve, what kind of improvements did you see? From our investigation, we found that there were wide varieties of water beetles found across all the ponds. As water beetles were a bioindicator, this suggests that there was high levels of biodiversity within all of them. We also looked at vegetation within the ponds and we found a wide variety of this as well. Although the vegetation didn't seem to have an impact on water beetle abundance within the ponds, but this isn't worrying because it means that other aquatic species, unlike water beetles, can actually still count on this vegetation for survival, so therefore it can't be discounted. Sean, could you tell us a little bit about your farm? We're eight generations of a farm, hopefully I'll be the ninth. We have sheep, pigs, cattle, we have turkeys from August until December, and we have a farm shop in Scotland Town, so everything kind of leads towards the shop and kind of everything we do is in-house to make sure that we can be as sustainable as possible for the shop especially. So in your experience on your farm, what needs to change in the conversation about farming's future? I know on our own home farm we grow all our own barley, our own silage, everything like that, that's all in-house. I know even from my project to look into your alternatives. That's probably the main thing that needs to be looked at simply because it's not going to work with farmers having to pay a thousand, thousand two hundred for a ton of fertilizer when there is alternatives out there that you can get for very, very little. And growing everything in in-house, it helps with the charges and the cost that everybody has to pay for well, say your deliveries and just other people's labour. The more you can do in-house, I find I feel anyway is Susanna, do you feel there's an urban-rural divide on the issues or is it farm by farm? Well I think that the rural community appreciate and they know that farmers do need financial incentives to have sustainable agricultural practices because they need to generate an income whereas I think that urban communities can have the opinion that well of course something has to be done here why aren't they just doing it why aren't they tackling the biodiversity crisis there is a dangerous decline in nature, it needs to be done now, but rural communities do understand and acknowledge that payments are needed, this is their job, this is their livelihood, they need to generate an income from it. And in terms of farm by farm, I think that every farmer has a different attitude. Some are more educated on climate matters than others. I definitely think more education are needed for farmers, especially intensive farming practices. They definitely need to see the problems that biodiversity loss is causing and they need to be made aware of more sustainable agricultural practices. Farmers, they've been on their land since they were born really and a lot of the time they work there their whole lives. It's their livelihood, it's all they know and I think for their practices, the way they work, it's what they think is right. They're never going to go out and do something that's going to harm anyone or harm the environment their farm or themselves. In an urban area, it might be that they're kind of seeing the, the downfalls to the farm and they don't see the benefits that are really coming out of farms all across the country and all across the world. So Eve, how would you like to see agriculture develop in the next few decades? I think what needs to happen is that more sustainable agricultural practices need to be implemented on farms across the country. 
And I think that biodiversity should also become a major talking point among farmers and that we should become more aware of the benefits of constructing ponds and different incentives that farmers are being given on farms across the country in the next few decades. So Susanna said that she doesn't think the farmers are being supported enough through these changes. What do you think on this? Yeah, so I agree with what Susanna is saying because when we were conducting our research, we found that there actually aren't many programs being carried out across the country for farmers. So in our local area, there is actually a Duhalo Farming for Blue Dot Catchment Scheme. And this is a five-year program run by IRD Duhalo, and it's funded by the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine. This program works closely with farmers around the catchment, and it provides results-based payments to farmers for sustainable agricultural practices. But this is only in our local area and we found that this actually isn't being promoted nationally. So we feel that more programmes like this need to be implemented by the government across Ireland. Why should more farms have ponds on them? They're such an easy development on farms. Even a small constructed farmland pond can have huge benefits to biodiversity. And also sediment ponds on farms can be used to collect runoff which prevents local water sources becoming contaminated and polluted. And this is a serious issue across Ireland as almost 50% of our local water sources are polluted at the moment. So going back to Sean, what do you think could be quick wins that farms can employ swiftly and cheaply? I think even from my research into the project, looking at your alternatives, looking at cheaper ways of getting your nutrients into the soil or how you're feeding your cattle, practices in general, just to look at the actual cost of what you're doing. And then if you can take even the slightest little things out of it, every little thing will make a, it'll make a big difference in the long run, and especially with your, the likes of your fertilizers that are just crazy money at the, at the moment. So and The same question to Susanna. From my own research, I think that ponds need to be promoted more further nationally and people need to know about them. They have such enormous biodiversity potential and the creation of this habitat can be seen as a valuable ecological enhancement tool. So you are all young people who have come up with incredible ideas. Do you think that those ideas are listened to enough? I think in time, at the moment, it's, it's probably a little bit overlooked, but definitely in time they're going to start realising that we are the future. It's up to us, really. The ideas that we come up with, if we're given the right chances and the right opportunities, we'll say even our projects to further them in different places or to really look into all the ideas that we've came up with, I think over time we'll see the benefits of all of our researchers. I think that more people our age as well do need to be educated on these matters because we are the future for it and obviously we are aware of all the biodiversity loss that is happening on these farms but more people our age should be made aware. I think that in time we will and more methodology and sampling can help with this and more investigations and I think they should be carried out and even in schools just to be educated more on biodiversity loss and damage. Yeah so I agree with Susanna and Sean but I feel that young people should have more of a voice in the government and that they should be seen and heard clearly by the government and even with our projects I think they should be presented to ministers especially the Department of Agriculture so that they can see the work that we've done and hopefully implement it nationally. A huge thanks to all of the students we interviewed, particularly those groups of young scientists in studio. 
There's a long way to go to reach the targets required of agriculture and other industries here in Ireland by 2030. It won't be plain sailing. But it seems that these students planning for the future have some incredibly bright ideas that, if implemented, could set us on track. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Cochran with edit assistance from Aoife O'Neill and it was presented by me, Evie Kenny. Now I'm off to study for my junior cert marks. Wish me luck. Ugh. This is Anne. R-T-D.